good morning. Morning, everybody. Morning if you're watching on the live stream or if you're out in the foyer. It's great to be here together today. We're looking at this Peter series and Peter's one of um, Jesus' right-hand men and one of the people that that Jesus said he wanted to build his church upon. So in some ways, we are here today because of Peter. Uh, There's two letters and this has been taken from the first one. Uh, So you can follow along in your Bibles if you want to look it up on your app or whatever. It's Peter 2, 11 to 21. It's usually good to follow along if you can, or you can go home and have a read of it later on if you want to as well. So I want to start by asking a question. Have you ever felt like an alien or a foreigner? Have you ever felt out of kilter with where you are? Um, Keenly aware that you sort of like a bit disjointed in the place where you are. One that comes to mind for me was when I was in Africa a number of years ago. I went there with World Vision and it was fantastic. It was amazing. It was beautiful. The people were magnificent. But I was such a foreigner. Like I would ask to do things and they would be like, yeah, not in Zambia. Like I just, things that would be quite okay here in Australia were just totally not appropriate or not okay where I was. I felt like I was really quite disjointed from where I was. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. It was a great experience. But it was also a bit of a shock to the system to feel like such a foreigner or such an alien. But there are also times when I have felt like a foreigner in my own town with my own mob right here. Um, I went to a celebration a few weeks ago And uh, some of the conversations that were going around in the room, some of the values that were being expressed, you know, and people giving advice about my life that just didn't really sit super well with me, felt like a bit of an outsider. I felt like a foreigner. And uh, whilst we were all speaking English, let's just go with the language was colourful, I don't know, foreign, a little bit. It was a little bit different. I I felt really out of joint in that place as well. So in our passage today, Peter is writing to a bunch of people who have chosen to follow Jesus all those years ago, and he tells them straight up that they are aliens and foreigners. He doesn't actually say, sometimes you might feel like a bit of an alien or a foreigner or an outsider. He says, you are, as aliens and foreigners live this way or consider this thing. Uh, Because people have chosen to follow Jesus, people who have acknowledged acknowledged God as the king, recognise that their framework for life, that the values that they hold are forged elsewhere, that their belonging, their citizenship is forged elsewhere. And whilst we do love this world that we are in, we love it and we cherish it, but actually sometimes we are just a little bit not quite connected, not quite belonging. I wonder if you've ever felt this dislocation in this way. So Peter's readers would have felt this really keenly. So there were people who were following Jesus and they were leaning in as these letters arrived and these letters were read. They were living in a culture with quite different values to what they were living at, the values that they were trying to live as kingdom people. So Peter tells them, as aliens and foreigners, first, to actively avoid things that take you away from the values you are trying to live. Run from them, flee to them leave them alone. And secondly, he tells them to live such good lives among the people. Isn't that a great phrase? Live such good lives. But he says live such good lives among the people, not separate from the people, not aloof from the people, not better than the people, among the people, in amongst people. Live such good lives. This is what he says. Oh, live such good lives among the people 
that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then he goes a little bit further and he says this. Uh, Sorry, let me just go back. So he wants us to live such good lives so that people may see our good deeds and glorify God. He wants us to live these kinds of lives so that through our actions, people may see God. Through you to God. I'm going to come back to that. Peter goes a bit further and he says, Submit yourselves for the sake, sorry, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every, every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors. As I read this, I wondered for a moment, hopping into the reader's mind, those people living in that day and age, leaning in, listening to that, going, no, 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 you must have read that wrong. Are you sure it didn't say don't submit to that? Because, like, we're submitting to God. It actually says submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. So there was these two guys, um, and one wrote a letter to the other. I can't work out... I think, I think this... I think this one's Pliny and and this one's Trajan. So from a Roman governor to Emperor Trajan, he wrote a letter basically saying, I've got all these Christians and I meant to torture and persecute them and I meant to execute them, but it's a bit complicated and I just want to be sure I'm getting this information right. Because when he... When he grilled them, when he, he, he dug into their lives to find out what it was exactly that they were doing, he found that what they were doing was they were meeting before the sun came up. They were singing responsive hymns to Jesus as if he was a god. And then they were making pledges to never break any laws or commit any crimes like lying, cheating, stealing and fraud. And then they ate together. And this was the extent of their crimes. And so he's writing to this emperor saying, are you sure? Am I following the right path here? And his instructions were, yes, torture them and execute them. For no other reason but they call themselves Jesus followers. They call themselves Christians. And so as the people are leaning in, listening to this story of Peter, this letter from Peter being read, they're hearing the words... Submit to every authority, the governors and the emperors. I think that must have been very, very hard to hear. This word must have been very big. But he tells them there is actually a reason. It's not because these guys were super, super great. It wasn't because they were fine, upstanding, you know, moral characters, because actually probably they really, really weren't. But he tells them that they need to submit to them in order to show who God is. So today, here in our world, we actually have to figure out what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? Because we actually don't suffer the kind of persecution that they were. We're not going to get taken to court just for being Christians or just for being followers of Jesus. So what does it mean for us today when it says submit to every ruler and authority? There are parts of the world that do suffer that kind of persecution, but I don't reckon we do here. In Greater Maroonda, it's not the same issue for us. But there are increasing situations where respect for leadership has fallen by the wayside. 
where someone's personality is criticised for the stand that they're taking. I mean, we've had protests in our streets where people were carrying homemade fake nooses in order to insinuate that someone ought be hanged in our time. This is the world in which we live, where people shout, you can't tell me what to do. You don't deserve my respect. I'm better than you are. What would you know anyway? I think that's the place in which we find ourselves. Now, at the risk of using a sporting analogy, because it's not my strong suit, I think in our world today, we are prone to play the man, not the ball. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We're playing the man, not the ball. We're criticising the character. Uh, we're criticising the, um, the uh, motives and the attributes of the person rather than the issue that they are standing for. It's such a prevailing tactic in our world today. And Peter is asking us, if we have chosen to follow Jesus and we find our identity in him, he is saying, respect your leaders. Not because they're wonderful and amazing, because, you know, <laughs> they're just plain old people. But because God is amazing and wonderful and morally upstanding. So... He is asking us to see through our democracy to the theocracy behind it because a theocracy is where God is the king. And we talked about that this morning. Thanks, Bruce. God is the king. And so we, we can see the system that's in place in our society where there is a democracy, but through that democracy, we need to see that there is a theocracy behind it and that is where our allegiance stands. That's where we have to put our trust God asks us to honour the order of the world. He tells us to respect the people in leadership around us because behind the democracy is a theocracy. Um, a number of years ago, I was in uh, Myanmar, so I travelled across the border from Thailand and I was there to celebrate the New Year's with a bunch of people, the Karen people, who are... Um, uh, they were gathering to celebrate the New Year's and have a big church service and they were an oppressed people. And during the course of that evening, I got to meet the lady who was the key speaker at that big church service. It was big, like I'm talking thousands of people, not like little. So I got to meet the lady who was the keynote speaker. And as we were chatting a whole bunch of different things, I can't remember what her role was or, or what, you know, what things she was doing for the people. Um, but I remembered that she'd mentioned that she'd met Aung San Suu Kyi, who was at the time the democratically elected um, leader, but under house arrest. And so I was like, oh, wow, you know, you're amazing. And this woman turns to me and she said, would you like to see our greatest weapon? I had seen a few weapons that day as we'd been escorted into this um, fairly unsafe territory. So my, I was starting to think, what am, what, what am I in for here? And then she rummaged around in a bag and she produced a pen. And she said, and here is our greatest weapon. And this is the way in which we will fight this fight. And this is the way, and you know, and, and I looked at her wisdom of working out how to do this thing respectfully, and I saw right through her wisdom to the person of Jesus behind her. I saw through her actions 
to the person of Jesus. And I was reminded of the, um, the passage in Isaiah 6, 9. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. She was placing her trust in him, and I could see right through her actions to the person of Jesus behind. Peter goes a little bit further, and he tells us, so submit to the leaders around you, and not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Man, he is making this difficult for us. He's making this really difficult for us. He's talking to slaves about how they should treat their masters. And he says, treat them well with respect and not only the good ones. I've had, um, I've had a number of situations where I've had to work for, for bosses that are tricky. And I don't know whether any of you are out there sitting there like, tell me about a tricky boss. I don't know. My boss is great. Um, <laughs> um, but several years ago, I was in a workplace and, and it was really, really difficult. And my, con- my, my confidence in the leader at the time was really, really quite low. And I think I was causing problems because of it. And someone came up to me and said, you need to figure out how to lead from underneath. You need to figure out how to lead respectfully from underneath. And so they gave me some books. And th- there was one book that I read called Leading from the Second Chair. When you're not the leader and you're, you're here, how do you do this respectfully? How do you do it and not undermine them, bag them out to every other person around you, you know, um, be aggressive towards them, stymie all their efforts, stunt their growth, whatever it is, how do you do it? And this book called Leading from the Second Chair was really, really helpful because what it helped me to consider was rather than to bring my issues across the table of complaint... It taught me how to come around the table and stand beside and say, how do you think that this is going to play out? What might this do? And it was a really different trans... <laughs> I, don't, I don't always do it right. I'm not looking at Troy. I don't always get it right. But that whole idea of how do we actually just respect them because they are the person in authority. How do we do that? And I actually think we have to dig a little harder, work a little harder in learning how to do that. In that situation... I did not always do it right. I got it wrong often. Um, And I think, looking back, if my hope was that people would see through my actions to Jesus behind me, I sometimes think that maybe they didn't. I sometimes maybe think that instead of seeing my actions as standing up for what's right and fighting for the good, they saw my actions as disrespectful. And I don't think they saw Jesus behind my disrespect. And it was a really big learning curve. And so if we're thinking about doing these good works, making sure that we're acting in this particular way, we are not doing it, um, you know, so that God will think we're terrific. But we are doing it so that we can reflect him into the world and so that those who never read the Bible may actually read our lives. You know, don't underestimate our ability for our actions to demonstrate who Jesus is in our lives. There have been several times when I've had to work out how to act respectfully when the respect did not come easily. 
And I wonder if you've been in situations like that or you are already in situations like that. Or if you haven't, then tuck it away because there will come times in your life where that is the case. I remember as, um, as a fairly new uh, follower of Jesus, I was, um, I was put in a really difficult position because the people in authority around me, the, the parent figures around me, were, were squashing what I thought were good opportunities. You know, I had a Bible and I wanted to read that thing like it was like the best thing ever. Um, but someone hid it so that I wouldn't, like not very, not very well because I found it. Um, but I really wanted to go to this big Youth Alive rally that everybody else that I'd newly met was going to and it was going to be fantastic and they told me, no, you can't go. And I had to work out what I was going to do. And happily, I had some really wise people around me. I had some people who said to me, that's okay, don't go. If you can't go, don't go. But do not think for one minute that what God is doing inside your head and inside your heart and the choices you are making internally can be, can be under anybody else's authority. So they told me, sit tight. I know you can't go. I know you want to go. But just keep letting God grow you anyway, even in this situation. And so what those friends did is they showed me a way to sit in this fine line place between rebelling and going, no, it's not, you can't make me, um, and just rolling over and giving up on everything. They helped me to find a middle ground. And I hope that in the way I responded to that situation, the people in my life saw through me to this emerging Jesus who was just starting to make himself known to me. Through my actions to the image of God. And I guess another thing to think about is that when we come across people who are difficult, then we can actually choose to look through their hard exterior to the image of God that is in them, even if you have to dig real deep and look real hard. We need to look to and th- through and to. So I've got three little asides for you. One, there are times we need to stand up for ourselves. 100%. Absolutely. I don't want anyone to think I'm advocating for power to be misused or for abuse to be gotten away with. Absolutely not. There are times we have to stand up for ourselves. Second thing, there are times when it's okay to engage in civil disobedience. But we need to gather together and we need to discern really, really carefully about whether we're going to do that. And it needs to be because we are being asked to do something that is not what God would have us do. Third thing, if you think you can do a better job, then get the qualification and run. Go for it. If you think you are better at it than the person currently doing it, then skill up and step in. But be careful because the, the, the scrutiny is excruciating, the costs are great, and you may discover blind spots that you did not know you had. But if you do, then step up. Um, I was listening to Talkback Radio the other week and someone rang in and said um, that she and her fiancé had been to her mother's house for lunch. And they'd had a lunch and they'd done everything and then when they came back out to the car, he turned to her and said, you know when your mother said that thing? She was wrong. And the woman turned and said, well, why didn't you say so? And he said, well, I didn't need to be the cleverest person in the room and it didn't matter. And she went, and I knew he was a keeper. It's true, you don't need to be the cleverest in the room. 
We need to strive for working out how to sit in these positions and have respect, to walk that fine line between rebelling and saying, you can't make me, and rolling over, to find out what that fine line is so that people will see through our actions to Jesus behind us. And why do we do it? Because that's what Jesus did. I cannot think of someone more alien to this world than Jesus would have been. He gave up the riches of heaven to come and be in this place, this world. And he came and he gave this great example. And he left us behind a pattern so that we should walk in the way he did. The passage says... To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Uh, In our passage, verse 22 says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He entrusted himself to, the, to him who judges justly. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's the way we'll do it, by patterning ourselves on the life of Jesus and trusting that God is the king behind. He is the theocracy behind the democracy. He is the God behind our good deeds. And that's what Jesus came for, to reveal God and to bring that creation back to him. As the band just comes up, I wonder if that might be something that you need to think of. You might actually be sitting there going, no, got got no issues with, you know, submitting to the rulers, all good, sweet, sweet from my point of view. You might be a young person who says, oh, I don't know what she... Well, you might have to face situations when you are at odds with your parents and you have to work out, is this a moment when they're asking me to do something that is wrong? Then you might have to stand up. But if it's not wrong, then you might have to figure out how to submit. Or you might be in a workplace where you're like, oh, you know what, all I have been doing is bagging that boss out to every other person I can find who will listen. And actually, nobody's seeing Jesus through your actions. Or it might be in terms of of the bigger picture of our politicians, we actually might need to adjust our language because I don't think shouting, you can't tell me, is going to work. But I think using our lives as an example so that people see through and to. That's what we want to do today. Thanks. Thanks.